Hello everybody, it's Dreadful Talk Dom here, uh, gonna be episode number 14 of Dreadful Talk, um, and you know, today's topic is something that, you know, I'm, I'm real fond of, it's one of my, it's a big part of my life, it's, it's my favorite hobby, and it's the hobby to those that know, and um, that's sports cards, and um, I know, you know, that's not everybody's favorite thing, but I know there's a big community out there, and they're great dudes, and, or, and ladies too, and um, and it's something like I've been a big fan of it since I was a kid, and I've kind of gotten back into it, you know, the, um, and I've gotten a little bit older, and it's, it's a lot of fun, and, uh, you know, I hope I can provide some information and just, you know, shed some light and just have a little fun on this episode. Um, also, my huge pleasure to announce that Dreadful Talk has its first sponsor. Um, shout out to Zach Brown. And Zach Brown in Norman, Oklahoma, you can call him ZB. He goes by ZB. The homies call him ZB. And he's, um, man, he's a man of many services, a man that's a good to know. And it's a um, good man to hit up if you need any help with real estate, if you need life insurance, property insurance, and, and honestly, a host of other financial-based things as well. Um, really smart kid, or grown man. He's, I, I, sorry, I've known him since way back. Really smart man. Um, great businessman, great, just, um, you know, down to earth man of the people, um, you know, sometimes dealing with things like finances, life insurance, real estate, it can be stressful, it can be uptight, it can be uncomfortable, but not with this man, he's going to make you feel comfortable, he's going to, you know, talk to you like a normal person, you can be yourself with him, great man, um, I said he can help you with the real estate, the life insurance, property insurance, home insurance, and, and other financial services, and um, he's officially sponsoring the Dreadful Talk podcast, and I can't thank him enough. Huge shout out to Zach Brown, uh, Norman, Oklahoma, ZB, and you can reach him at 405-255-7867. That's 405-255-7867. Lock that number in your phone because you're, you're going to need it. You're going to need it, you know, as, as you move forward and move up in life and start purchasing property and needing to protect that property and look out for your future and your family, you're going to need a man like Zach in your corner, making sure that you take the right steps, you know, for you and your family. Um, but yeah, so, so that I'm really excited about partnering up with him. He really is a great guy. Um, cheers everybody. And yeah. Um, so you may be thinking sports cards, why sports cards, you know, what's that got to do with anything, but, um, there's actually like a huge, I guess you could call it a resurgence. Um, I mean, it's hugely popular right now. Um, it's the card prices are going through the roof. Um, and, 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 and it's just one of my personal favorite things to talk about. Like, like, uh, you know, I, as soon as I was writing out my list of potential topics, this was one of the first ones. Cause it's something that I'm passionate about and I like talking about, and I hope you don't mind listening to me talk about it. Or, you know, for those collectors or buyers and sellers out there in the hobby, you know, I know for, I know for a fact, you'll get a kick out of it. Um, but yeah, super common theme. Like a lot of people that get into sports car collecting, you know, I got into it as a kid, right? It's kind of marketed towards kids. Um, well, that, well, it's kind of, I don't know, I'll get into that, you know, is it for kids or is it for adults? It's like, um, sometimes I like to think the hobby or the, the card industry kind of hides behind the fact that it's quote unquote for kids. Um, but, you know, I think most of these cards are going to grown men, which I'm not shaming. I'm a grown man that collects too, but 
it's kind of a maybe a misconception. Like I said, we'll, we'll get into that, but uh, uh am I done? I didn't grab a lighter. I'll be right back. Oh, uh, but yeah, so. You know how we like to get down here on Dreadful Talk. If you got something, spark something. If you don't partake, I appreciate you for not judging me. This is a hemp blunt wrap, not even tobacco. I love these things. They're called Juicy J. I've tried a bunch of different brands, and these are by far the best. If you, because blunts are always like my guilty pleasure, like. I smoked a lot of them, but I knew they weren't that great for me. And I'm not a big fan of tobacco or the tobacco industry, but I was supporting them. Um, and so I've been switching on these hemp wraps and they're really nice. Cause there's a lot of, there's a lot of brand of hemp blunts that suck. I've tried them all, but these ones are legit. So yeah, I hope if you, if you got something, you're smoking something. I got some nice Jack Herrera rolled up in here. So I won't get too sleepy on you. Um, but yeah, I started as I was a kid, man. I actually, um, he was my stepdad at the time. We, we, like if I was good or whatever, he collected too. So like I would go to the card shop with him. I'd get a pack or whatever. And, uh, but you know, as you get older, you get into, you know, girls and other things, you know, it's not as cool or whatever. So I kind of, you know, abandoned it when I got to like middle school and shit. But, uh, and I thought those cards were lost forever, but um, my mom actually found them in our attic like a few years ago. <coughs> and I was so damn happy because I, I, mean, I didn't have anything major in there, but just the cards you pulled as a kid, they were all packed, pulled. Uh, yeah, just, you know, can't beat that memory, you know, that nostalgia, which nostalgia is a huge part of collecting really anything and sports cards don't differ in that, you know. Uh, people collect art or you know, historical coins or historical documents because it like, you know, it marks a moment in time. It marks a certain person, you know, and, and sports cards are essentially the same thing. Um, just like a different medium of doing that. Um, and so, yeah, I feel like, man, that, that's a common thing. Like everybody likes to use the phrase like finding yourself and like finding yourself. I really feel like for a lot of people, I know it was for me is like, um, Kind of getting back to your roots. What did you like when you were a kid before you like started like worrying about trying to be cool and popular and fit in and shit? I feel like that's where people really knew when they said get back to their roots, find themselves. And so, yeah, I, um, when I was a kid, though, I only collected football cards. Um, you know, those that have watched the podcast before, I know me personally. You know, football is my main, you know, my main favorite sport. You know, um, also a big fan of MMA. Shout out to Beefy Boys. But football is my real number one love. Um, and so when I was a kid, I only collected football cards. You know, baseball cards, I feel like, are like the default. Like when people think of sports cards in their head, they think of baseball cards. And that is probably the baseline, I'd say. That's probably fair. That's probably fair to like associate baseball cards with sports cards. Um, but, you know, obviously there's there's um, all other sports as well. There's basketball, there's baseball, there's football, um, there's hockey, um, obviously soccer. Um, there's even like non-sports cards like Star Wars and shit that are made by the same company. Um, 
There's UFC cards. I have a few of those. those. I think those are dope. You know, they're a little more rare. Not as many people are into them as obviously the three major U.S. sports. And yeah, I made that controversial statement. Some hockey fans will try to tell you it's four major sports. And, uh, and I live in a hockey city. I live in San Jose. But I just feel like you can't really compare it. Like hockey's definitely above soccer. But I feel like it's definitely below baseball. But ah, there's people that would disagree with that. So I understand the argument for four major sports. I'm just, I'm not personally that big into hockey and the people I talk to aren't that big into hockey. So in my little universe, it's kind of three major sports. Um, kind of embarrassing. I rolled a shitty blunt on camera. It's like not hitting good. Slacking. <coughs> but whatever. I'll chill on that. I took some dabs before anyway. But um but yeah, so like how did I like refine my childhood hobby? And that was just man, I mean, I'm sure probably y'all have seen them like at a lot of targets, a lot of Walmart, they just sell cards and they kinda keep them kind of by the cash register, so it's kinda like an impulse buy type of thing. And I was just bored, killing time. I think it was like a hot summer day in San Jose, and I was trying to get it to the AC. And so I was just chilling in Target, and I was like, oh, fuck. I used to love these things. I used to love sports cards. I used to love football cards. And so I fucking bought a little pack for like $3, didn't know what the fuck. And uh, I don't know. I just, and then, so every time I would go to Target, I would just get a little pack, like three bucks. Who gives a fuck? You know, I just, uh, and, and I just, and it got, it progressed. It progressed. Um, I just started, you know, buy, and then I buy two packs, or maybe I buy a box this time, and it just it just progressed, and because like it, it's it's a fun experience opening packs, and um and I'll get into you know whether or not opening packs is the most efficient you know use of dollars um, compared to like buying single cards, you know, but uh you know that's how I reignited my spark for the hobby was just you know buying a pack here and there at Target, maybe move up to a little hanger box, maybe move up to a blaster box. And then just, you know, gone on from there. Uh, and then I also want to take a second just to say that the energy's weird today, especially out here in California where I am. Um, I'm sure y'all have all seen on the news or if you're watching from the West Coast, like the orange skies, like the weird Martian haze. It's so weird. It's, 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 it's honestly affecting me a little bit. Um, it's... It's really hard because, and, and it's not, because, you know, it's it's from the fires and all the smoke in the air and the smog and the haze and everything. And like, it, there's like this orange glow and it's so ominous. It's so eerie. Like, and, and you can know it doesn't mean like immediate danger. Like the fires are far enough away from me. I'm safe. But it's like, it's so hard to ignore all the shit that's going on in the world that like causes us anxiety and shit. Like, so, you know, this world is chaotic at the moment. And, you know, like most of us, I have my little coping mechanisms or way to, you know, keep my focus narrow and not necessarily look at the burning dumpster fire. Because, I, I, you know, I, I don't watch the news all day and shit. Like, I can't, I try to, you know, focus on the things I can control and I can't control the madness. And so, but these orange weird skies are just like a constant reminder. It's like, it like pushes all the world's chaos to the front of my mind. It just like reminds me that things aren't normal things aren't okay like things are weird right now um it's like this unignorable just like right in your face just symbol of just how chaotic and just strange the times are right now so 
Yeah, my energy's weird. I mean, I, 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 that's been fucking with me all day. So I just wanted to be honest with y'all. Anybody, you know, affected by the fires, you know, I, my thoughts go out to you. Um, I read somewhere that the smoke is affected. I was blown all the way to like Kansas. Like people in Kansas are getting the smoke. It's insane. Cali, literally on fire right now. And it's like such a metaphor for just the world being on fire. But, but yeah, so... I appreciate it. you know anybody everybody out there I'm I'm sorry if my 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 energy's off um but yeah just it's so hard to just you know ignore the things that are just going on outside you know it really is it really is like sometimes I'm good at compartmentalizing but this this weird sky just like fuck that up it's just right in your face ah uh, but this episode is not on skies or fires or whether it's on sports cards and I'm, and I'm trying to, you know, keep it lighthearted. Um, but yeah, so for years and years and years, I thought that my collection was lost. All those cards, I had two thick binders, like three inch binders full of football cards that I collected probably ages like eight through 10. And, um, and I thought those were lost. Like we had moved a couple times and I thought they just got like lost to the sands of time, you know, as they say. And I was, um, you know, I just kind of, you know, uh, you know, charged it to the game, as they said, like, you know, those are gone. But my mom was like going through her attic and found them. And I was so stoked and she mailed them out. And I was so excited because and this was right about the same time that I started buying these packs here and there from Target. And, and, and like that was also kind of discouraging me when I was starting to buy those packs at Target because I was like, man. Like, I would always think about those lost cards. Like, I didn't want to start from scratch. I'm like, man, that's fucked up. Like, I already have a collection. Like, do I want to start all over? But then when my mom sent out those um, cards from Oklahoma, like, two big binders full, it, like, just sparked it full on. I'm like, yeah, I'm in. I'm back collecting. I'm in this thing. And, like, that's how I made my, like, um, my sports card Twitter. Um, South Bay Sports Arts. Yeah, South Bay Cards 44. If those that didn't know, that was me, like the card community on Twitter. Uh, South Bay Cards 44, that's me on eBay and on Twitter. Um, and, and yeah, there's like a whole community out there of sports card people. Like you would, it's crazy. It's, and it's really a cool ass community. Like that's probably what's kept me in it. Like real talk. It's um, just like trustworthy people making, you know, just kind of gives you faith in humanity in a way. Like I... I can make a trade with some guy in Colorado that I've never met in person and the car and exactly what the cards he said me or what he said. And like, we both kept our word and it's like a beautiful thing. Like, um, I mean, I've probably spent thousands on cards in the past three years and I've only been ripped off once for $6 and I, and I've dealt with countless strangers online. Um, and, and so that's probably one of the, what, like, you know, the initial spark and nostalgia kind of got me back into it, but and it might like it really might be the people that I've met or haven't met but met online that that keep me involved in it. So shout out, you know, everybody, anybody that's watching this from my sports card Twitter or you know that I that I've known in that community. Shout out to y'all. This episode's for y'all. It's for us. It's for us weirdos. For us card nerds. Um, and it really is fun and it's cool. Like an unintended kind of consequence of, not consequence, but like kind of side effect of my collecting sports cards. It's like, I feel like we all have kind of like hoarder tendencies and um, like a lot of people do. Like we like to just kind of hold on to shit for too long or, or just, you know, have a bunch of shit. And it's cool because like, I've been able to like compartmentalize that. Like I focus all of my like hoarding on on my card collection and it's all, you know, confined to my binders and my boxes. 
And, and then so in the, in the rest of my life, I've become way less sentimental. Like, oh, T-shirt gets a hole in it, get rid of it. Oh, I've had these shoes for X amount of years, get rid of them. Like, I, I used to hold on to everything. and But now it's like I've channeled that into my sports card collecting. So if you're, if you're a person that has too much shit or, like, you know, is a hoarder or whatever, you know, maybe, maybe sports cards could, like, help with that. It's definitely helped me for sure. Um, but, yeah, um. And I don't know, like I said, I've always kind of had that little, that little um, collector bug in me. Like, like, even when I was young, I would collect, like, swords. Like, I know that sounds weird for, like, a young kid to collect swords. But I would, I would, like, uh, shout out Old Paris Flea Market. Anybody in Oklahoma City knows the swords that they saw at Old Paris Flea Market. That's where I buy the motherfuckers at. And uh, I would collect swords. Like, I always just like collecting shit. Like, shit that was kind of unorthodox. Like, uh Shit that, you know, just not everybody collects. Um, and so, yeah, I, I don't know what that is or where that came from. I've just always had that little bit in me. And so, like I said, it's really nice in, to channel that. So I think a lot of people have that. A lot of people, you know, make impulse purchases or let shit pile up in the backyard or in the garage or in the attic. And we just hold on to shit. And I feel like if you can, like, find, like, a targeted thing to collect, it kind of, like, focuses that energy on that. And then you become less like uh, hoardery in other parts of your life, for real. Like I said, or maybe I'm just a weirdo, but I really feel like that's the case for me. Um, and like another really cool thing about it, it like sports cards, like are a snapshot for a moment in time. Um, so, it, like for example, say you have a card from 2018 and a player. Yeah, a card from 2018, and LeBron's still on the Cavs. But then the 2019 cards, LeBron's on the Lakers. So, like, you know, 20, 30 years from now, you, you see those cards, it just reminds you from of that moment in time. Like, oh, yeah, LeBron was on the Cavs in 18, then he went to the Lakers after that. And it just, or just, I mean, that's one example. Or just, like, even certain things. Like, for example, like, you see, like, a Ray Allen rookie card, and he's on the Bucks. Like, honestly, a lot of casual fans probably forget that Ray Allen played for the Bucks. You know what I'm saying? It's like we think of him Celtics Heat. Um, but and you're like, oh, yeah, just so it marks that moment in time. Or, like, you see, like, I'll have some old cards of, like, Shaq in a Magic uniform. And the same thing, like, you know, it's like when you think of Shaq, you think of Lakers. Like, say, I mean, I'm sure there's some people in Orlando that disagree with me. But, like, the average NBA fan, you think of Shaq, you think of that purple and gold, the diesel, the 34, him and Kobe. Uh, I mean, you know what I mean? And so, but, yeah, you'll see, like, an old, and he's all skinny, and he has hair, and he's wearing the electric blue of the magic, and you're just like, whoa, what a snapshot in time. And uh, that's something I really, like, appreciate about the hobby, for real. Like, that's, I, I, I enjoy that part of it. And we'll talk more in the podcast where I feel like the hobby's kind of moving away from that and like more into like being about the money and being about you know making a quick buck and the way so we'll get more into that but I still find that that satisfaction of just that snapshot in time or like that my favorite player like it's almost like a step down from having a jersey like like I don't know like it's kind of the same time you want your favorite player's jersey you want your favorite player's shoes or, or whatever shit that you know they sponsor or you know you want to rep the guys you fuck with as like a sports fan and like sports cards have been like the perfect avenue for that like uh, I really think it goes hand in hand with sports fandom like I don't think it should 
necessarily be like two separate things. I mean, I understand that it is, but yeah, like I just kind of throw it in with like other sports memorabilia. Like I have A's hats and I have A's shirts and I have A's posters and I have pictures of me in the A's game. And, and like having these cards of the A's players that I like, I feel like goes hand in hand with that. Um, so yeah, I think it really just like enhances like the sports fandom experience personally like you own or like and then we'll talk about it. It, it. it even ramps up a whole nother level when you start talking about autographs or game used jerseys and shit like that. You feel like you own like a part of history Like you you have something like it, it's really cool. It's a cool feeling, at least for me. I feel like a lot of people, you know find that in, in the hobby. I, I know I really do. Like, I know it's different than, like, meeting them and having them sign something, but, like, still having something that they sign, I just... There's a, there's a cool factor about that for me. I, I can't lie. I really do. Ugh. But, yeah, it, it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. And, and, I mean, and we'll get into it. Yeah, you can make a, a buck or two, you know what I mean, off sports cards, and it is a business at times. And I'm in the business a tiny bit, if you want to call it that. But uh, but I still try to remain a collector first. Like, I really try to be, like, I guess a purist or, like, like sports cards. Like, some people really do take that shit too seriously. And, I mean, I take it seriously as far as, like, if somebody stole a card from me, I would be livid. Or, like, I, you know, I value my collection. But serious as in just kind of forgetting that at the root of it, it's a baseball card or it's a football card, like, like, I know it, like, when you attach a dollar amount to something, like, that changes that dynamic. Like, it's no longer a piece of cardboard, as they say. It's currency. But in a way, it still is just a piece of cardboard. And I like to remind myself that and, and try to stay rooted in that. And then that it, at, at the end of the day, it's baseball cards. Because like I said, there's a whole wormhole. Like, there's a whole community. Like, I know people, that may be shocking to some people. Like, it's like, there's a whole world... And there's movers and shakers and, and, and beefs and it's a whole fucking world, the card community. And and, and definitely I've, you see people that take it too seriously. And like I do take it seriously, but I but there's a limit to that. I try to pump my brakes. I try to check myself and just remind that it is, you know, sports cards, which that's what I'm saying. Do you want to like some stores have them in the toy section? But like I said, they're really essentially at this point for grown men. But uh all the kids that are collecting, I mean, I think it's so dope when there's like a kid that collects. Um, I have I have a, a kid younger than me. I send cards to just to trying to you know keep the hobby alive, which I think the hobby's fine. But like I said, I think there is a lot of fifty year old dudes buying it. But uh, that's cool. I'm gonna be buying cards at fifty most likely. So I mean, I ain't judging. I'm just saying um, it's not necessarily like the. A lot of people, when they think baseball cards, the first thing, like, like when, if I'm in a room full of people, like, say, most likely a lot of them are older than me, and I bring up baseball cards, like, almost, like, immediately, like, almost like clockwork, like, I bet the house on it, inevitably somebody's going to say, oh, man, I used to put those in my bicycle spokes to make it sound like a, a motorcycle when I was a kid, like, that, that old school shit, like, like, that's not what it is anymore. Like, like, even somebody like me who tries to not take it that seriously, like, it's still more than that. But, like, whenever you tell somebody you collect cards like that, you almost, and especially older, like, not kids, or not people my age or younger. Typically, it's people, like, 10 years older than me and above, which I'm 26. So, like, usually, like, people in their, like, mid-30s and older, they'll, they'll almost guarantee, say, like, uh, oh, I used to put them in my, in my 
spokes in my bicycle tires and, and shit like that. So that, that kind of intrinsically people don't take it that seriously on the outside. That's what's so weird. Cause like people on the outside, it's a complete joke. Like don't even cross people's mind. And then people on the inside, like they'll fucking ride and die for that shit. It's so, it's so interesting that like dynamic of like how there's really like a world and that's, that's been one of my favorite parts about it, but it's changed and I'll get to that, but it's changed and it's kind of turning me off. Like not from the cards themselves, but from being as active in the community. And that sucks. Cause like I said earlier, the community was one of my favorite aspects of it in the beginning, the whole, one of the main, my favorite parts of it. So that kind of sucks. And it's not like ruined i won't say but and i'll get i'll get into more of that i'll get more into that um there is a gambling nature to it and i'm not a big gambler um i'll occasionally place 20 bucks on a ufc fight or like back when i was 18 in oklahoma you can go to the casino at 18 in oklahoma and i just would like that was a 20 in the slot machine to feel like an adult and like smoke a black and mild or something whack like i don't really like casinos now i'm I may play a game of poker with some friends like twice a year or something, like, you know, $40 parties. You know what I'm saying? Small time shows. I'm not Mr. Gambler McGee. But maybe I'm not as big of a gambler because I kind of get to scratch that itch. I kind of get to get it out of my system because in a way, sports cards are gambling. And what I mean by that, what do you mean sports cards are gambling? I thought it was a kid's toy. I thought it was the shit that you put in your bicycle spokes, like, this is what I mean. And, and listen, I'm not a big, big flip guy. But I'd be lying to you if I said, like, in the back of my mind, every pack of cards, which packs of cards can range. I mean, they really can range, like, way higher than this. But, like, the packs you see at Walmart, Target, they're going to range between, like, two and, like, five bucks. We're dealing with pretty low numbers on, on the retail end of things. Um and we'll get into that later. The retail side versus the hobby side. There's two like lanes. Um, but in the retail side, it tends to be pretty affordable. And it's, it's a lot of people's entry point to collecting. And I, and I, I, I tend to honestly do a lot of retail stuff myself when you can find it. And I'll get into that too. But um, you hope when you buy open that $3 pack of cards, that $4 pack of cards, in the back of your mind, you're hoping you hit gold. You hope you find a card in that pack that's worth a couple hundred bucks or in the rare, rare case, maybe a few thousand. Um, and that, that may be shocking the people out there right now. They may even not know that cards could be worth a couple hundred or a couple thousand or like, I don't know. People probably know that like old school, ba like Babe Ruth or Mickey Mantle or whatever, them real old school cards are worth money. But like people maybe not even know that modern cards are worth that much money, but I can assure you they are. And we'll get into some of that as well. Um, so that's that's what I mean by gambling. Like, uh, like you know, it's probably not going to happen. Like, it's it, I, it's really similar to a scratcher ticket. It really is. Like, you buy a three dollar, five dollar, two dollar scratcher. I mean, you're not expecting to change your life. Like, you're, that, or else, you know, that's not your retirement plan. But you could hypothetically strike it big. And, and, and I'll be real. I I, I buy scratchers occasionally. And it's probably because it scratches that same itch in my brain that opening cards does. It's I find it really similar to oh, scratchers. So like, or you know, you hope that you open a twenty dollar box and you get a couple something that's worth a couple hundred out of it. Like, um, 
and that's and like I said, that's kind of what I mean when I say the hobby's changing. Because like I try not to lean into that, but it's just a part of it. Like it really is. Like it's just human nature. I mean, who doesn't want to come up? Who doesn't want a lot for a little? Like I mean, that's I'm not knocking that. That's just basic math. You know what I'm saying? But that's what I'm saying when I say it's gambling. Or there's another way you can gamble, which you buy a player who's not good now that you think is going to be good. It's almost like a stock that way, which are stocks gambling. You can debate that if you want to. Um, but you know what I mean? Like like a good example. A good example. Um, I, I'll say one from my own collection. Um, I I had some pretty cool like OG and Anubi rookie cards. Um, and... You know, whenever he wasn't like a super high draft, like he wasn't like a Zion, a jaw, like a guaranteed home run. Like he was just a guy that got drafted on like a developmental project wing. And then the other night he hits like that big game winner in the Toronto Boston series. And, um, and his cards like doubled in value overnight. Um, so I see now that's different because I got that out of a pack. Like I didn't necessarily buy that card hoping that one day. He'll blow up big. I've done that before. I'm usually wrong, so don't listen to my advice on those. But uh, that's something. That's another way that it can be kind of gambling. Like, uh, you know, this guy's card's worth five dollars now, or his autograph's worth ten dollars now. But I've, I think this guy's a stud. I think in I think in four or five years he could be that next dude, and this card could you know be ten times that. Or you know, and that ha- that does happen. Guys come out of left field. Um, or you get a guy's rookie card and then you hold it in for five years and see what he becomes. Um, but it's it that's what I mean by gambling, and that and that's part of what makes it fun. Like I'm not necessarily trying to cast that in a negative light, but that's kind of will be a theme of the podcast. This kind of balance between hobby, as we lovingly call it, we call it the hobby. So it's kind of like the Ohio State University. Like people in the hobby call it the hobby, not a hobby. It's the hobby. It's like, there's a lot of hobbies. People fucking fly RC helicopters. People fucking parasail. There's a lot of hobbies. People build model cars, but we call it the hobby. So I guess that's like nerd arrogance or whatever you want to call it. We call it the hobby. So throughout the uh, podcast, you'll hear me refer to sports card industry, sports card hobby, sports card collecting as the hobby. And that's what I'm referring to. Uh, And, um... So, so yeah, it, it's, it's this duality of like wanting to keep it pure and fun and affordable with, like I said, the moment you attach dollar signs to something, you, like we all know what comes with that. It, it gets a tad bit shadier, tad bit colder, tad bit, you know, every man for himself, uh, you know, um, very capitalist, you know what I mean? The, the rich get richer, sometimes the poor get poorer, which I guess you can't really get poor get poorer in card collecting, but rich get richer is a real thing in the card game. That's that's a real thing. I mean, but it's any business. Like, I'm not necessarily hating on that either. It's just, it's just part of it. It's reality. Um, another reason I collect, and I think this is another common thing you'll find with people in the hobby, um, it's a peaceful thing to do. It, like when you're sorting, you're sorting cards or you're opening cards. It's 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 almost like you're watching a sporting game in your mind. You're not thinking about the rent being due. You're not thinking about you know 
bad shit that's going on in the world. You're rooting for your team. Like it, it's kind of like that. Like when I'm putting cards into a binder or sorting them out or opening packs, like it's kind of just like a disconnect, which I think is what most people use hobbies for. Like I think people that play guitar is their hobby. They like to escape when they play guitar and not think about shit and focus on playing the guitar. Runners, I have you, every runner in the world will tell you that they clear their head when they run, or it's peaceful to them, and it makes them feel it's stress relieving or working out. I mean, no matter what your hobby is or what you spend your time doing, I think a lot of it is you know trying to you know forget the stresses of the world, and that's a good thing. We need that. Yeah, I, I firmly believe. Now you can't be like ignorance is bliss, and you know head in the sand, and you know la la la. You know you gotta you know be aware. But I do think it's super unhealthy and not good for us to just like always focus on all the crazy negative shit that's just part of being a human and especially being a human in 2020. We all need that escape and, you know, sports cards are a lot better for you than heroin. Um, so cheers to that. Uh, but I guess some people are chasing that dragon, though, if you feel me with the sports cards. But uh and then, yeah, I keep talking about this sports card community, and you're like, what the fuck do you guys like meet at, you know, where do you guys, do you guys have meetings? Is AA? What do you mean sports card community? Well, and, and there's probably other versions of sports card community or hobby community, but what, when I'm referring to it, I'm essentially referring to Twitter. Um, seems like a really random place for a bunch of sports card nerds to get together, but it's booming. Like, the, the Twitter sports card like universe is dope i love it um i mean you can get amazing deals you meet really cool people um just you keep your ear to the streets as you know i guess you could say like you get a have your finger on the pulse of the hobby like where what you know who, what, what what's what's going on and you know other like-minded people and i love it because i made a separate twitter account so like i don't see no politics no negative shit know this, know that, and if I do, it gets blocked and removed real quick, but, like, so it's cool, it's just, like, talk about checking out from all the bullshit, like, on my sports card, um, Twitter, it's literally just a feed of nothing but sports cards and sports card-related material, <laughs> as propane and propane accessories, uh, yeah, sports card and sports card-related content, that's what I'm here for, um, and that's what I'm providing you today, god damn it, this world is stressful, and let's talk about something as simple as some fucking sports cards so our head don't explode, shall we? Um, I said it's it's a dope escape. It really is. But that's what all that's what all hobbies are. I feel like um, now this next little part of the podcast is gonna be more geared towards collectors, more so new collectors. Um, shout out my lifelong friend Cameron Black if he's listening or if he hears this. Um, Great dude, one of my favorite people, been friends since I could barely walk, uh, and he uh, he's recently getting into the sports card, um, just getting into collecting stuff, and I've been sending him a few cards, and um, and we, we've been having some, and so a lot of this is inspired by, you know, things that I wanted to brief him on, so that he didn't get played, or just that he didn't feel lost, and, and, and maybe this will be helpful for other people that see this. You know, maybe you're a new collector. Maybe, maybe you're not a new collector. This is also common. Got, old, older guys been collecting since the '60s and '70s, but they're new to like the Twitter and all the new lingo and all the. I mean, the sports card game has came light years since the '50s. So, like, you know what I mean? People, or even since the '80s, like it's, it's completely different animals. So, 
that's another thing this may be helpful for. Like, say you love sports cards, like, oh, I'm not a newbie. Like, no, you may not be a newbie, but you may be new to this modern sports card lexicon universe, Twitterverse. Um, so these are going to be some very common terms to help you just navigate the hobby and, and I said, hopefully not get ripped off or just not feel lost, not feel confused. And I get it, especially us fellas, you know, ladies too, but I'm going to speak for us fellas. Like, we don't always like to fucking ask shit and sound dumb. Like, you know, the classic example of the guy not wanting to go to the gas station and ask for directions. Like, the hobby can feel that way too. Like, I don't want to fucking ask what, you know, PWE means and look like a jerk off. Like, I feel you, brother. I I used to hate. But at the same time, you don't want to not know. You, You don't feel comfortable not knowing. So, hopefully this can be fucking helpful to somebody that's new to the hobby, confused with, like, the modern lingo of the hobby. I'm just going to go over some, like, common hobby terminology. I'm going to try to light this up again. Hopefully it's not on some fucking bullshit. Fucked up my own blunt. How embarrassing. It's not the rap's fault. It's my fault. I've been rolling with these little raw tips, which I love, but it can sometimes affect the airflow weird, like where the tip connects with the tree. So... First thing I want to do is give you another Instagram account that you can follow if you're new to the hobby or confused by terminology. And it's the, exactly what you think it would be. Sports card advice. Sports card advice on Instagram. Um, ran by a great dude that I've done a lot of business with. Never met him in person, but I feel like I've known him for my whole life. Um, and he has a Twitter called DMN Takeover. And I highly recommend it. Uh, I bought a bunch of cards from that dude. Great dude. Very honest, very not going to rip you off, straightforward, will educate you, not belittle you, very welcoming. He brought a lot of people into the hobby. So, yeah, shout out Sports Cards Advice, a.k.a. DMN Takeover. Shout out, um, big big mover and shaker in the hobby, at least in my universe, from what I can tell. Now, the first terms I'm going to go over are in regards to how cards are shipped and terminology that may be confusing when you're referring to shipping cards. Maybe you bought a card and you're asking you how you want it shipped or something. There's really only going to be two methods for 99% of sports cards transactions that go placed over Twitter. Um, or eBay too, for that matter. Really, there's two ways to ship a sports card. Unless you're shipping like boxes or cases, but <coughs> loose cards or you know a few cards, there's only two ways to do it. And probably the most popular way and the most secure way and probably the smartest way, if you got a few extra bucks to spend, it's called BM or yeah, BMWT. You'll see that BMWT. They'll say, do you want to ship to BMWT question mark? And you may be thinking, what in the fuck is BMWT? BMWT stands for bubble mailer with tracking. And as the name suggests, it provides both physical security, bubble mailer, it's padded, um, so less chances of your car being bent, you know, d- damaged when you get it. And then tracking, so security also like for your peace of mind, for your wallet, you know you didn't get ripped off, you know exactly when to expect it in the mail, um, all that good stuff. Super, super handy on more expensive purchases, more high-end purchases. Um, not as important, you know, on lower-end stuff. And um, the BMWT is going to cost you between $4 and $4.50. 
People charging you more than that are being assholes. I'm just going to keep it a buck. Because as somebody that sells cards and ships cards, the post office charges you $4.20. So some people are hella cool, charge you $4, and they eat the 20 cents. Or some people charge you $4.50 just to make it a smooth, even number and probably account for like a few cents of PayPal or whatever. But uh, people are charging more than that. I mean, it costs more to ship boxes and cases, of course. But if you're single cards or a few cards, you shouldn't be paying more than $4.50 to ship them. And you shouldn't be charging more than $4.50 to ship them either, cocksuckers. And then the other way you'll see is called PWE. <coughs> PWE stands for plain white envelope. And it's some people kind of frown upon it. Um, I actually use it all the damn time. I use it all the time, but I buy a lot of cheap cards. Um, you don't want to ship an expensive card or like a high-end card PWE because, so PWE, it's a plain white envelope. So it's not padded like the bubble mailer. And there's no tracking number, so you get it when you get it. Now, I just got a notification from my eBay right now saying I just sold some. So, you know, the card industry is booming. Um, but, so PWE, and you can only ship, like, maybe maximum. I've seen people do four cards, but, I mean, it's really probably not better to ship probably more than, like, two cards. And most people just charge, like, a dollar or 75 cents for PWE. So that's why it's the more appealing option, like, Nobody wants to pay $4.50 shipping on a $2 card. You know, and the math just doesn't work out. I mean, some people do. I've Actually, a lot of people on eBay do. It blows my fucking mind. I never do. But, uh, yeah, to me, my rule is $10. I'll pay, I'll pay $4 up on shipping if I'm buying a card that's $10 or multiple cards for $10. But I'm not paying $4 shipping on a $5 card. I'm just not. I'm like, or $3. I'm just, so that's how I operate. Now, and I can also honestly say... Now, I've seen horror stories for PWE, like on Twitter, all bent up, crumpled up. I've never had it happen. I've been buying cards, PWE, a lot of them, um, I mean, for over close to three years now. And I've never got one that was bent or fucked up or wet or nothing. I'm not saying it can't happen, and that's why BMWT is the safer option. But I, I've i had good luck with it. Maybe I have good luck. Maybe it's because I live in Cali and it's not like rainy and snowy that much, but... Uh, I've had good luck with PWE, and I, and I send a lot of them too, and I don't get complaints from my customers either. So, um, a little hack that um, I learned from my boy Three Point Geek on uh, Twitter, another great follow, great deals on basketball cards. But um, on the on the PWE, if you do, it's called a non-machinable stamp. They like don't run it through the machine. It's like less likely to get bent and shit. Uh, veteran move right there. The next terminology you'll hear. And I've actually brought some examples. It's going to be, you'll hear people say numbered. Um, and like numbered, what does that mean? Like, is that a verb? <laughs> numbered means like serial number. Technically, it's short for serial numbered. But I'll show you an example. Let me see. Here's a good example. I'll try to get this close to the camera. You see how that has numbers on it? It says three out of 22. So there's only 22 of these cards that were made. And I have the third one. So three of 22. So that's what numbered means. And that's real big. That's kind of a newer thing. Like old cards don't, uh, what up bro? Um, 
Old cards don't have really the serial numbers. That's like a newer thing. I think they started doing it in maybe late 90s, early 2000s. But um, you won't see like vintage cards that are serial numbers. So if you're doing like new cards, you hear people ask, is it numbered? That's what it means. So that, that's numbered. Um, another important yet murky one. You'll hear people say relic card or patch card. Now, this is real murky. To some people, it's one and the same. Like some people, that word is interchangeable. There's actually technically supposed to be a difference, or at least this is how I understand it. Um, and I said, this is murky. You're going to find people that disagree with this. You're going to find people that agree with me. But relic is not guaranteed to be game used. And, well, actually, so relic is typically one color. Patch typically has multiple colors in it or like a piece of a logo or something what they call in the hobby chunky And those are more valuable. That's more of a patch. It's a patch like it honestly looks like a patch You'd sew on a jacket or something like a patch and um, But it's kind of murky like like patch and relic kind of get used interchanged and people will disagree um some people interpret it to mean that relic means game used. It gets murky. But in a way, relics and patches is a, is a card with a piece of material in it. 90% of the time, it's a piece of jersey. But they make crazy relics. Like they make, I've seen relics with like pieces of dirt from the stadium, pieces of a base. They have pieces of bats. They have um, pieces of cleats. Pieces of helmet, all type, but 90% of relics slash patches. Well, patches will always be a jersey. I guess maybe it could be a pair of pants or glove or something, but so the, most of the time we're talking jersey, but it can be other stuff. There's weird relics, weird patches. Um, and I'll show you guys an example. So, like, I don't know. To me, this also it's that same Rudy Gay card. To me, that's a relic. It's one color, it's not chunky. Let me see. See, but it, but it is game used, and it tells you on the back usually. It'll say, they like to use this murky terminology, player-worn. Player-worn means they could put it on, take it off, and they can legally say player-wore it. Uh, so those are intrinsically kind of less valuable. Uh, just uh, It's not as cool. It's just not as cool. Game used is cool. Like, I have a game used um, Deion Sanders card, and, and I just find pleasure. Like, damn, Prime wore this? Like this was this is a like prime wardis in the game. Like to me, that's so cool, so much cooler than they're in like a warehouse at a card signing convention and they put it on, take it off, and they do like they they put on and take off like fifty jerseys in a row, just so they can cut them up and make these cards. It's kind of watered down. It's kind of what some people don't like about what the hobbies become, like flash for the sake of flash, or you know what I mean? Because they've started off with essentially only game used because. Game used is kind of intrinsically cool. Like, I don't really got to, like, describe that to you, why that should be cool. Like, they wore it in a game. Like, your favorite player, like, this was on their body. Like, that, to me, that's cool as fuck. And, and to me, it's just obviously less cool if they just put it on, signed some autographs, and, and, and took it off. And, like, you know what I mean? To me, that's just not as cool. Like, it's, I don't know. Maybe I'm worried. Maybe I want it to stink a little bit or whatever, but just playing. But. Now... So that's, like I said, this is kind of murky because it's one color, but it's also game used. Now, 
Now this is 100% gonna be called a relic. It's one color, it's player one, which means not game used, and it's essentially all for show for the sake of making this card. That's definitely gonna be a relic. That's what that's referred to is a relic. So, and then now Patch, Patch to me is more like this. You see how there's three different colors. Shout out Hollywood Brown, by the way, Boomer Sooner. But you see how there's three different colors and it's what, you see why they would call that chunky compared to them just all one color, just kind of bland, boring. This, you see why this would be more valued, more sought after, um, just essentially a better card. Uh, and that's gonna be more what people mean when they say patch. Now, but see, this is the catch. This, while being chunkier and prettier, it's player worn, not game used. So, like I said, different collectors will, 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 will value those things differently. Um, typically, game used is more valuable than player worn, and more sought after, more appreciated. And typically, the chunkier ones are more valued, more appreciated than the one color. Um, now, obviously, you know, best of both worlds, if you get like a chunky, big, pretty patch that's also game used, that's ideal. But it tends, in my experience, to not necessarily, don't usually get your cake and have it too in a lot of ways. Um, especially on newer cards. On older, older cards, you can find some cool ones like that. Um, and they do exist. But yeah, in my experience, like most of the cards in my collection are kind of one or the other. But ideally, you would want both. Um, so that's just something to look at. Um, you may be thinking like, because I'll be real, when I was brand new, first started collecting, it kind of got me like I didn't fully understand it. Like I, uh, and I would maybe overpay for a player worn or, or even if I didn't overpay, just like be more, probably more psyched about it than I should. Or, you know, just, I didn't really fully understand that. So I want to clarify that to some people. Um, the next one is called RPA. I'm not a big acronym guy. Just in general, like in other aspects of my life, like I don't find acronyms. To me, an acronym means I got to remember two things instead of one. I got to remember what the thing is and then what the fuck the acronym is. And to me, it's not helpful. Teachers would always try to do that shit and I would just murky it up for me. But RPA is an acronym that stands for Rookie Patch Autograph. Now, shout out Norman's own Ryan Broyles, the GOAT, all-time NCAA receiving yards. Um, but so RPA rookie patch autograph, it's his rookie card. There's a patch. You see the chunky patch and then there's an autograph. So RPA and this one's also numbered to 10. This is 10 out of 10. So that means there's only 10 of these made and this is the 10th one out of it. That's another, and I'm going to, I'm going to pause right there because that's something else people will try to swindle people on. Some people will try to convince you that this card, like because it's 10 out of 10, that it's somehow more valuable than 3 out of 10 or 7 out of 10. Or like say it's like his jersey number out of 10. Like you couldn't do that because his number was 84. But like say there's like an Anthony Davis card that's 3 out of 10. He's number 3. Like, oh, it's his jersey number. Like that makes it more valuable. And they'll call it an eBay 101. Those people can go fuck themselves. That's bullshit. And they, it's blatantly trying to rip off people that don't know no better. And people will argue... So they're blue in the face that no eBay one of ones is real or 
the jersey number or their fucking birthday or whatever the like they logic it's forced logic it's forced logic that doesn't make the card more valuable and i will die on that hill and i'll gladly debate any collectors out there that want to have the the um the ebay one of one debate i will we can do it on ig live i will debate you all day on that so that's rpa and rpas are sought after um like I mean, you can understand why it, it's 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 three. So rookie cards are valuable, patch cards are valuable, and autograph cards are valuable. So if you have all three of those in one cards, what does that mean? That's triple value. It's it, it's a good card. It's a valuable card. It's a it's a nice card. It's a very nice card. Um, so RPA. I'm a big fan of RPAs. Most people are like who who wouldn't want the the Holy Trinity? Um, so yeah, that's RPA. And yeah, I kind of touched on this briefly earlier. Um, hobby versus retail. And that confused the hell out of me at first. Because if you think about just like what those words actually mean, anything essentially on sale at a store is retail by definition. And anything related to sports cards is hobby. Like that's, I really still don't like the choice of words, but that's what they are. There's hobby and there's retail. Retail is like I kind of touched on it earlier. Is going to be the Targets, the Walmart's, the um, shit like that. essentially Target and Walmart. Um, maybe we can find it like Walgreens sometimes, but um, Target, Walmart, retail like that makes sense when you think of it like that. Like retail giants, um, and hobby is you can essentially only buy it either straight from the card companies. From a card shop, like a hobby shop, like a sports card, like they have some brick and mortar locations still available, or like online, like through like a third party person, like through a, like there's like brokers and people on eBay and, and just people that, that sell hobby boxes. So if you're ever about to buy a box, if you're at, if you're at, it'll say hobby on it, it should. If it, and, but the retails don't say the word retail on it. But if it's a hobby box, it, a, you'll be able to know by the price. Retail boxes are, 90% of them are 20 bucks. Like if you go to Walmart and buy them. Now people flip those, and we'll get into that. I'm not the biggest fan. But um, but yeah, so, so retail is going to be like, you know, from Walmart, from Target, from Walgreens. And retail, you're, you're essentially not going to get as many autographs. You won't get as many. In theory, you it's lower risk, lower reward. Now, some people have pulled heat out of retail. I've gotten some cool cards out of retail. I buy retail. I'm not shitting on it. But typically, the logic being the reason why the hobby boxes are more expensive. Well, A, the hobby boxes guarantee you X amount of autographs. So you don't know who those autographs will be, but it guarantees you a certain number of autographs. The retail you're not guaranteed an autograph. You're guaranteed, it'll say on the box, guaranteed relic or autograph. So good thing I told you what relic meant, but um, an autograph's kind of self-explanatory, but it'll say guaranteed relic or autograph. It's like literally like 90 times out of 100, it's going to be uh, a relic, um, pretty much usually a worthless relic, I'll be honest. Um, which I say worthless, only monetary. If it's a relic of your favorite player, it's not worthless at all. That's dope as fuck. Um, and, I, and that's what I'm saying. I like to still remember that part of the hobby. So many people lose that. Like, so many people lose that. Like, 
just because a card's not selling a lot on eBay and it's not Zion or Luca, they're like, oh, it's just uh, this card's lame. Like, no, like somebody out there likes that card and likes that player and likes that brand of cards and somebody likes that card. Um, not necessarily a bad card just because it's not worth a lot of money. And it, just because it's not worth a lot of money right now doesn't mean that it won't be a lot of money um, one day. Think about when people first got Giannis rookies back in the day. It was like a late round pick, like... Nobody was tripping over no Giannis rookies. Now they're through the roof. Um, so, so yeah, hobby boxes are going to be way more expensive, but you get, like, a guaranteed number of autographs, and in theory, you spend more, you get more. Like, you're going to get better stuff out of the hobby. Now, that doesn't always happen. Like, it's no, there's no guarantees, but that's, like, the, the reasoning behind it. Um, so, yeah, just know the difference between... And, and people even do sell individual packs, like if a hobby pack or a retail pack... Hobby pack, you're more likely to get numbered cards, um, parallels, things of that nature. This is episode 14, um, Dreadful Talk, talking sports cards, talking the hobby. And man, just, this is a pure prime example of exactly what I was talking about, how I said the hobby was just, I mean, call it a distraction, call it a break, call it whatever you want. Because like when we first started the podcast, I'll be real, like I was stressed and like the world was weighing in on me. Like I was thinking of the outside world and the... Just all the chaos and everything that's fucked up. And, um, and uh, you know, an hour of talking about cards and I'm feeling great. So, like, that's what the hobby can provide. And, like, uh, and I know some people out there, I mean, I never had a problem with it. But there's people out there that struggle to, like, you know, have a hobby or find a hobby that they like. Um, and this is a cool one because, and this is something I want to talk about. You don't have to be good at it. There's no being good at collecting. Now, I mean, certain times, certain people know who's going to be good or whatever. But, see, that's not really collecting. That's flipping. Like, if you can just find joy in just collecting cards that you think look cool or for your favorite player or your favorite team or your favorite sport or what have you, I just... You don't have to be good at it. Like, so many hobbies. Like, oh, I'm going to start skateboarding. Like, you got to get good or you're going to fuck yourself up. Oh, I'm going to... You know, I'm going to pick up guitar, like, like all right, I don't, you know, good luck, Jimi Hendrix. You know, you got to get good. You got to put in work. You got to practice. You got, you're trying to get good. And, like, that's something I struggle with, like, because I'm super competitive. And so, like, if I'm doing something, I want to do a good job of it. And, like, I want to get good at it like that. And I think that there's, like, a, the reason why it's so peaceful for me is because, like, there's no being good at it. Like, there's really not. I mean, you can have a good social media presence or you can... You know, if you're rich, you can buy cool cards, but, like, you can't be good at the hobby, at this hobby. And that's, like, if people are, like, a stressful, like, a stress-free, like, just something that's, like, you're not going to put pressure on you to be great at. I, mean, I think that's what I like about it a lot, too. Um, but, yeah, we're going to um, hop back in to, like, some terminology. So, like, and I, and I ended part one talking about terminology. I have more time to get to, but just... There's so many modern terms that are thrown around on eBay and Twitter and with modern card collectors that, you know, either if you're new to card collecting can be really confusing or if you're like an old timer that's just coming into like the internet lexicon of the sports card community can be really just overwhelming and intimidating. Um, so the next terms I'm going to go over is parallel versus insert. And this confused the shit out of me when I first started collecting. I could not separate the two, but they're kind of, I'll, hopefully this will help. And it's, it really is important knowledge to know, because right now parallels 
are hot, hot, hot. That's what people want. People want parallels. And I'm about to show you what that means. They're like, parallels, what the hell are you talking about? So, isn't necessarily the perfect example because, so, this is a Jesus Lazardo rookie card, Topps Chrome. You see, so it's not the best example because this is what's called a silver prism. You see, it's like, it's a refractor, it's shiny, it's colorful, there's like a little rainbow to it. The base card, the normal version of this, which is, that would be called the base card if it didn't have that, that rainbow metallic shimmer. It would be the base version, which I have that too. I don't know why I didn't bring it out, but whatever. This one looks cooler. Um, so the this is technically a parallel in and of itself. But for the sake of this comparison, just pretend like this is the normal one because it's more normal than the one I'm going to show you. Because this is the exact same card. If you can tell, it's, it's sepia. So that's the normal, or that's the silver. That's the sepia. But it's the exact same picture, the exact same player, exact same team. Exact same year, everything else is about is the exact same card. So that's why they call it a parallel. Because like a parallel line mirrors, you know what I'm saying? But they don't touch. So it's not the same card, but it's like parallel. It's like a, another version of that. So that's an important term to learn. Now, what up? Thanks for everybody tuning in. I really appreciate it, y'all. This episode ain't for everybody, but for those that it's for, and I hope you enjoy it. Um, so next we're going to talk about inserts. And inserts, different people like inserts. Like, I'm not the biggest fan of inserts. So inserts are going to have a theme. And they'll be inserted into packs. That's where they get their name. And, like, this one, it's a theme. Freshman Flash. And this AJ Puck, rookie pitcher for the A's. And I'm an A's fan. If you can't tell, most of my cards are going to be A's. But so freshman flash, though, they didn't just make one guy. It's a line. It's a it's a it's rookies that they think are going to be good. And that's that's very common theme. Like you'll 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 notice that that like um, like it's usually something like that, like a group of rookies. So there'll be like a lot of rookie cards for all the rookies. But like the the rookies that they think are going to do good, they'll call it freshman flash. They'll call it, you know, rookies to watch like there's there's different like different brands and different lines of cards make their um and like they it's they have different terms different inserts but that's what i'm saying there's like a theme or there'll be like like guys that have a really high batting average will be like the machine because it's like they just hit, always hit it or like uh You'll see like pitchers, like flamethrowers that have like flames on them. It'll be like all the pitchers that throw the hardest. So like they're like grouped into categories. Parallels are the exact same card, just like a different color. Or like this one has zebra stripes, or this one's orange, or this one's red. Or, and sometimes they'll be numbered, but um, it's the exact same card. Inserts are gonna have a theme, and it's gonna look different than the base cards, the normal cards. Um, so yeah, it'll it'll be like like it's, or there's like all the strong arm quarterbacks it'll be like rocket man or some shit like that you know what i'm saying like a, a group theme or like uh if it's all centers it'll be like the, the towers or whatever the you know sharpshooters and it'll be like clay and stuff and you know all the good three-point shooters so that's what the insert i hope that was good it can be murky at first but it's like once you get it you'll never confuse it again but when you're first starting out it's like you'll hear these terms thrown around like which one was insert which one was parallel i would mix them up all the time um, so I just kind of wanted to hopefully 
iron that out for everybody. Um, another term you'll hear is licensed versus unlicensed. Um, and so that has to do with the deals that the particular card company has with the leagues that they manage. So, for example, you used to be able to buy Topps football cards. They no longer have the license with the NFL, or NBA for that matter, and so now they only do baseball. And vice versa, Panini has the football and basketball license, which Panini is like a big competitor to Topps. Like those are like the two main card companies, Topps and Panini. There's others, there's Upper Deck. It's mainly hockey nowadays because of licensing. But they have like deals, almost like how the players have deals with the leagues and how, uh, you know, they expire every 10 years. They got to renegotiate. The same thing happens with these card companies and respective leagues. So like right now, Panini has no license for the MLB, but they have a license to the MLB Players Association. So what does that mean? That means they can use the player and the player's likeness, but not the logos of the teams. And what and you're like, how do they even pull that off? That they can't look very good. And you would essentially be right. I don't think it does look good. Now, I actually like this card a lot. But if you see, there's no logo. That's an Anthony Rendon refractor, but Panini Prism. But you see, it's Panini. So since it's a Panini baseball card, this is an unlicensed card. That's why there's no. He should have an Angels um, uniform. On, but it's just red. You see how it's just generic red? They like Photoshop out the logos. And that's what they'll do. I think they can still show the number. They can show the player's face, the player. But I, a lot of people don't like them because it just gives it like a bootleg feel. Like why the fuck does it not have the number? I, I'm not the biggest fan of it. Like I like the way this card was shiny. So I got it. That, but if that was like, I don't know, unlicensed or typically less favored. Now, Prism Baseball's gaining steam. But most people, myself included, prefer a licensed product. Um, where like Leaf does it with the college football and it looks so ugly. Like it'll be like an OU player and like the red jersey but with no logo and no Sooners. It looks like shit. It really does. It looks like shit. And there's people that like it and it doesn't bother them. And actually I'll show you one of my favorite cards later. It's, um, it's unlicensed. So like there's exceptions. But generally speaking, you want licensed most people want licensed. Typically, licensed sales for a little higher, has more value, more sought after. I mean, supply and demand drives the value price. So that's another cool thing about sports cards, like economics, if you will, is that it's a true, 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 true example of supply and demand. Like, if people want that player, the price goes up. Like you can you can watch it go up in real time just watching eBay sales. Um, so it's really cool. There's... There's never like a mystery of how much a card is worth because you can go find out what the, what it sold for on eBay. And then, like I said, in real time, like I was talking about OG and Anubi earlier, like you hit a game-winning playoff shot and overnight your card could double in value because everybody's fucking wanting it. Supply and demand. The demand goes up. All right, I'm back. Sorry for the poor connection. Really weird. I'm on Wi-Fi. Fucking Russians and Chinese fucking with me. But, uh... But yeah, so that's licensed versus unlicensed. Like, like most car, I mean, like tops are gonna be licensed. It has the Oakland A's logo. He's wearing the Oakland A's jersey. It's not like generic. It's not photoshopped. It's it's licensed. So that's licensed versus unlicensed. Um, now this is for you people. So the preferred method, like I said, the Twitter community, 
is real big on buying and selling sports cards. I highly recommend it if you're getting into it. You're going to probably get more bang for your buck than trying to buy packs. I'm just being real. But the when you, the preferred method is going to be PayPal. Hardly anybody in the sports card community is going to accept Venmo, Cash App, none of that. It's going to be PayPal. Like, if you don't have a PayPal, make yourself one because you're going to be talking a lot. I tried not to because I had Venmo already. I was like, I don't want to make a PayPal. I got Venmo. Just fucking take my Venmo. But I think it can protect buyers and sellers better than apps like Venmo and Cash App. So that's why people like using PayPal. But they're going to say there's either G and S or F and F. GNS stands for goods and services. And that means the person that you're paying eats the cost. So if you're selling if I if, if you sold me a card for seven dollars and I paid GNS goods and services, then I'm going to pay seven dollars even, and then the the person that I'm paying eats the eats the um PayPal charge, like the 50 cent charge or whatever. Or there's friends and family. So if I was going to send $7 friends and family, then my real bill would be like $7.50 something because I eat the eBay charge. So you'll come across people that try to talk you into paying friends and family. And I know some good people that do that and it does save them the cost and it helps for tax reasons and shit. But it's intrinsically somewhat shady, just being real. It is. Like I'm not saying it makes you a bad guy, but it's not the most up and up way to conduct business. And it doesn't protect the buyer. So I do it with people that I buy from all the time just to kind of do them a solid. But I don't recommend it, especially if you're new. And especially if you don't know, if you've never done a deal with the person before. It's just like, um, you know, if they're dead set on it, offer to pay a few more cents and have it as goods and services or whatever. Try it. Most people are pretty reasonable, but there are people that will get weird about it. So is if they talk about FNF or GNS, know what that means. GNS is going to protect the buyer. FNF is more in the, in the interest of the, you know, it, it benefits the seller. There's not really a middle ground. It's kind of got to be one or the other. So you'll see, you'll see people try to talk you into FNF. The one time I was ripped off, I was through FNF. It was only six bucks. I'm not tripping, but you got to be careful. It's FNF stands for friends and family, GNS, goods and services. If you're buying from somebody you've never bought from before, or really if you're buying in general, I highly recommend the goods and services just to cover your ass. CYA. But not everybody that asks you to pay friends and family is trying to rip you off. Like That's not what I'm saying either, but it can be a warning sign, honestly. like It really can't. Um, Another another term you here is PC. You think of PC principle, political correctness, PC? Not bi- no, that's not what we mean. We mean uh, personal collection. So most people find when you first start collecting, you just collect anything under the sun. All cards are cool, but eventually you get enough, and you have to narrow it and narrow in the scope, and you, it saves your pockets, it helps your collection, and you get like me. I narrowed it down to like um, I my PC, my personal collection, what I personally collect is Oakland A's baseball, former OU Sooners football, and Thunder basketball. Um, and, and OU, like, so like Buddy Hill and Trey Young as well, OU, OU basketball as well. And so, I, so that's, how, that's my PC. Because pe- people ask you, what do you PC? Especially if you're trying to work out a trade. You know, like say I have a Denver Broncos car. I don't give a shit about the Broncos, but that car's valuable to somebody else. And he has maybe like a cool Oakland A's card that I really want, but he doesn't know I want it. 
if he doesn't know I PC Oakland A. So especially if you're working out a deal over Twitter, they'll ask you what you PC, or you'll see in some people, they'll put it in like their Twitter bio, I PC this. So like, you know, if you, and, and, and you know, certain teams are more common than others. There's a million people that PC Yankees. So Yankees cars tend to sell for higher supply and demand. I actually get really lucky being an A's fan because it's the exact opposite of the Yankees. Like the A's, like, you know, most people are trying to get rid of their A's cards. And uh, there's, a, there's a few of us out there as A's collectors. I love, I'm friends with a lot of them. But, uh, but yeah, no, uh, I, so I get lucky because A's cards tend to go for cheap. Like I got like Matt, Matt Chapman, in my opinion, one of the best players in the league, platinum glove, glover, just stud, all-star. You can get his autograph for ten bucks. I have, uh, and, and but like if he played for the Yankees, that same card would be fifty dollars. So it's a blessing and a curse. I collect A's, so it works for me. But like if you know if you collect all right, Cardinals, Cubs, Yankees, the the big heavy hitters, those those cards tend to be you know supply and demand more more in more in demand. Um. Now, you'll hear, this is huge. This is what really is changing the hobby, changed the hobby. Different people have different opinions on it. I, it's not necessarily what I'm into. I don't hate on it. I understand, you know, it, it's, it's flawed. I don't know. But what I'm talking about is graded, graded cards. You'll hear that term thrown around. Like, what is graded? I mean, we, we taking a spelling bee. We having a spelling test. What the hell is what are you trying to grade? So graded. There's services that you can send your card into, and they look at under under a microscope, and they 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 grade it on a scale of one to ten. Obviously, ten being the highest means it's absolutely pristine, perfect condition. There's no scratches on it. The corners, so that they, they grade surface, so like scratches and smudges and shit like that. They grade corners which is exactly what it sounds like, like how square are the corners? Are they bented? Are they rounded off? Are they fucked up? Um, centering. Like, so like sometimes the, the, the picture that's printed on the card will be like off to the side. Like it'll have more border on one side than the other. That's bad center. You want it perfectly centered. And then they, um, I'm, I'm, I'm missing when there's four criteria. There's, there's corners, surface, corners, surface, Oh shit! Centering corner surface centering. Mm. But there's one more criteria. But then they, they total all that up and they give you a grade. So and then they put it. They protect the card in what's called a slab. Now, the two big players in the grading game and the terms you'll hear thrown around are BGS and PSA. BGS is by Beckett, the same people that make the magazine that. You know, it's like a sports card magazine, Beckett, Beckett Grading Services. And I forget what PSA stands for, but that's their biggest competitor. Um, I believe in general, BGS typically sells more than PSA, but I could be wrong. That's ever-changing. Different people prefer different things. Um, I think I prefer BGS, but like I said, I'm not, I'm not into grading in general, but if I had to, I just like the way they look better. Um, I heard PSA is a little easier to get a 10. That's like a little sports card conspiracy theory, water cooler discussion so people that submit cards for grading like PSA because PSA tends to I, I've heard be a little easier grader like having that cool teacher you know that lets you slide on a little little spelling error 
Or like, uh, you know, BGS is, is that teacher that's by the book and you better spell that shit correctly. But so I think like that's the reason why BGS cards sell for a little more because collectors know that they're looked a little closer, maybe a little stricter on the grade. That 10, like a BGS 10 may be nicer than a PSA 10. Now at that point, you're the definition of splitting hairs, but uh, super high-end collectors. And I mean, if you're spending, you know, a couple thousand dollars on a card, that'll matter to you. Um, which I do not do. I have no cards that I've spent thousands on, but people out there do. Good old Sierra Nevada. It's been a minute since I had some Sierra Nevada. But, so, this is BCCG, not like a very popular or reputable grading. I think it's somehow affected, like affiliated with Beckett, too. That's where the B comes from. But I really don't know exactly why, what the difference is. But the only reason I bought this, it's an OU player. I told you I, I, I PC OU Sooners, and it was a 10. And I literally wanted one graded card in my collection. Only graded card in my whole collection. But graded cards will get put in a slab. They get given a grade. You see, this is a 10. Then it's a BCCG 10, whatever that means. This isn't the most valuable card, Samaj P. Ryan. But as an OU fan, I love Samaj P. Ryan. He was an OU great legend on, in Norman. So, you know what I mean? Like, the, to somebody else, that card's not worth jack shit because he's, like, backing up Joe Mixon right now, which actually I think is really dope because they were teammates in college and they make a hell of a thunder and lightning one-two punch. Excuse me, everybody. Um, But the average... Like, card collector isn't clamoring for graded Samaj P. Ryan cards. So I bought it for dirt cheap, but it's a cool card for me. Because I, I watched him play in Norman. I'm a big OU fan. So fuck it. Um, so yeah, that's graded. And, and and another thing about graded, like, what's the point? How does it work? So I'll, get, I'll dive a little deeper. So the reason why people do it. So say I have, and I'll use the hottest cards right now. Say I have a Luka Doncic rookie. That's obviously worth a lot of money. But if I have a Luka Doncic rookie that's a, that's a graded 10 and it's encased and it's perfect, like you're telling me this is the perfect card, so then it raises in value. It goes from being worth a couple hundred to a couple thousand. And it has a pop number. So say, say there's 20,000 Luka rookies that were printed by the company. But they keep track on the grading companies of how many tens there are. So say if there's 20,000, and you can look up these numbers. And I'm pulling these numbers out of my ass, but I'm just saying like, so something, if there's 20,000 Luca rookies, it, they're valuable because Luca's good. But there may be only a couple hundred that have been graded and graded at a 10. So like it's literally rare. It's encased. It looks all pretty. It's, it's perfect. So that's why those cards sell for more. And, um... It, like like you've all heard mint condition. Well, that's guaranteed proof that it's mint condition. Now, people will argue the integrity of the grading companies and if a 10 is really a 10 and what all that means. And and people, there was a big scandal where people were tr like altering cards, like trimming them up, altering them, like polishing them up, like doctoring them up to get 10s and then like selling them and ripping people off essentially. So that's why a lot of people in the hobby lost faith in the grading community. That was a big scandal that went down. And so a lot of people think grading's bullshit. A lot of people, grading's everything. It's like the whole reason they collect is trying to get tens. Um, and the reason why I don't do it, it just seems like a pain in the ass and a lot of money. You got to pay. So you, you send the cards into, you mail them into the grading company. You pay a lot of money. I don't even know exactly, but it's, it's more than I'm trying to pay. 
And then they'll have your cards for months, months and months and months. And then like however many months later, I've heard horror stories of it being like a year later, you get your card back and yeah, you, it's graded and it's in a pretty slab. But if you don't get a good grade, like say you get a seven instead of a 10, then you've actually hurt the value of the card. Because if it's raw, if it's ungraded, somebody will buy it. Maybe they're trying to get it graded and just the unknown of it being, ungraded, maybe it is a 10. But if you're if you if it's a seven or if it's a six, then you know sure as hell it ain't no ten. So it's actually lower than an ungraded card, and you paid money to get it graded. That's another thing that don't sit right for me. Like it would be interesting. Like I'm interested to see if some of my cards would grade well, but I'm not necessarily trying to like spend money on it to be honest. And like, uh, but like I said, so if you have a card that grades ten, then maybe you've quadrupled i mean you've increased the card of that value a lot so i mean you know what i'm saying so that's that's what the deal is that's what the deal is with grading cards and that's why some people like it and some people don't it's very polarizing you're either like a graded card guy or an ungraded guy like in, in a lot of ways a lot of man i'm sure there's a lot of people with some both in their collection but the people that are into grading are typically really into grading and don't even want your card if it's ungraded and and, and and other people are like, fuck grading, you know, it's a bunch of scamming trimmers and, and, and it's it's pretty polarizing in the hobby. Um so I don't have a lot of graded cards. I'm not into it. Um I mean if I have deeper pockets, I may I, I would I would definitely submit a few just out of curiosity. I still may one day just but it's not in the interest of necessarily flipping or making a quick buck. It's just I'm just genuinely curious if some of my cooler cards would grade well. I I like just kinda especially some older stuff. Um so, so yeah, that that's grading. That's really important to know about in the hobby. When I first got into the hobby, I didn't even know that was a thing. Like I said, most people don't even know that's a thing. Most people think baseball cards are something you stick in a fucking uh, bike tire. So, yeah, there's graded, and they put them in a slab, and, and it looks all pretty. It's all, like, um, legit. It makes it look so more official. It really does. I'll give them that. Uh, also, a way bigger pain in the ass to store. Um, well, I, I touched on this earlier. How do I know how much is a card worth? Oh my God! If you anybody that collects cards knows this, you have a friend call you, and oh man, oh, my my grandpa gave me some baseball cards. Come over and and sh tell me if they're worth anything. And nine times out of ten, it's a bunch of bullshit, or it's like just they're in such bad shapes that even if they were worth something at one point in that condition, they're not. And um. But so everybody that collects cards had that happen. Oh, is this worth anything, bro? Uh, so anybody or new collectors, you may have a card that you think may be worth something. You're kind of excited about it. You want to see exactly what you hit, how much, what'd you come up on? Um, the full foolproof method is what it sold for on eBay. So you search the card on eBay, but you don't go by what it's listed for. You can actually filter to sold. And what it actually sold for is what it's worth. Like there's an old saying, something's worth what somebody's willing to pay for it. No place truer than in the hobby. And that's a real time, foolproof, verified proof of how, of how much somebody was willing to pay for it. Um, it's not the end all be all, because if you look in the last, like the OG Ananobi, if you look what it sold for a couple months before you hit that game winner, it's not that much. And if you look what it, for what it sold for the day after the game winner, it went up. So it's not the end all be all if it's an older one. But if it, if it sold that week for that price, that's how much that card's worth. Like, don't try to like argue your logic around that. That's what it's worth, like by definition. And that's what people are going to use. 
So if you post a car for sale at some ridiculous price and then people will put you on blast, be like, you're charging $500 where somebody just bought it on eBay this week for 230. So where the fuck do you come off charging 500? That type of shit. So, um, and, and, and like I said, so, I mean, and the person that posted that card might not even have known that was stupid. They did, they were just guessing. They knew it was worth a lot. So they put 500 and, and but the simple eBay check, they could have prevented themselves from looking like an asshole. So, um, that's how you figure out how much a card's worth. Um, even people that don't know about sports cards know that rookie cards are worth more. You want a Michael Jordan rookie, you want a LeBron rookie. That's pretty obvious. Um, what's really cool nowadays, they put this little RC right there so that proves that it's a rookie card. They started doing that, I think, in the early 2000s, mid-2000s. So, um, like, older cards, you have to, like, Google. And there's even, like, controversies, like... Like, in like I think Mark McGuire, there's like three different rookie cards from three different years. Because now they have all that shit ironed out of like when they get to the minors versus when they go to the pros. Now you're not considered a rookie until you've actually played X amount of games in the pros. There's like an actual threshold. But back in the day, it was murky. So there's like a McGuire rookie card from the year he was drafted. And then three years later, there's another rookie card for the year he made it to the majors. So... They, back in the day, it was pretty murky. Like I said, that they people in the hobby were getting annoyed by that. There was like debates: what's the true rookie card? People still debate what's the true McGuire rookie card. And I guess they're all rookie cards. But uh, now Bowman is really the only company that does this, and they really only do baseball at this point. But Bowman has what's called a Bowman first. So that's whenever these eighteen-year-old kids, twenty-year-old kids get drafted. And they're in the minor league. They haven't played in pro game yet. But it's not their rookie card. It's called Bowman First. That confused the fuck out of me whenever I was um, first started collecting. And Bowman goes even crazier with it because then they do prospect cards. That's different than a first, but it's not a rookie, but it's their prospect card. Bowman gets pretty murky with it. Like, honestly, Bowman can be confusing for new collectors. It, it used to confuse the hell out of me. Now, once you've been in it a little more and understand the nuances of it, you learn that Bowman's one of the better sets to collect and, and, and high-end collectors like Bowman and Bowman is favored. You can There's a lot of demand for Bowman. Um, but it's like, it's the hobby guy's card. Like, it's not the it's not a good intro card, layman card uh, brand, but it's it's like the collector's card. Like, it's nuanced. There's like levels to it. Like I said, there's... But, um, they said most cards, but Tops is more straightforward. These are all Tops. It's a, it's his rookie. He's played in the majors. Rookie card. It says RC. So that's nowadays. It's nice and easy. There's no controversy. But back in the day, it was like up for debate what the rookie card was, which is really cool that the hobby kind of corrected that and and it's no longer an issue. Um, but yeah, cards from the '90s and, and back, you you gotta like kind of do a little research to see what the rookie card is. Um, You'll hear the term junk wax. I, I thought that was the funniest term when I first started collecting. I had no idea what it meant. No idea. Junk wax. What are you talking about? What are, is this a fucking candle store? Junk wax. I'm like, what does that mean? Is this a junkyard? What's going on? Junk wax. What does that mean? So, baseball cards have been around since the late 1800s. They used to come in cigarette packs. That's how they started. Um, and there's actually a line of cards called Allen and Ginter that pay that pay homage to that early history of baseball cards. Allen and Ginter's a tobacco company. He was a tobacco company in the late 1800s. That's how baseball cards started back in like the Onus Wagner days, like way back when, when the inception of the sport. And um, 
But I say all that to say, so they've, they've been around a long time, but there, was, there became a period in the 80s, the, around the mid-80s, there was a big interest in baseball cards, like a resurgence, like people were getting into like the early 80s. And then by the late 80s, the cards had like over, or the card companies had overplayed their hand. Their hand. What did I say? Supply and demand. Well, if the supply, they printed way too many cards and the supply so much outweighed the demand for the late 80s and early 90s. I'd say probably starting in 87, 88, going through like 93. Like that era is called junk wax because the cards are worth probably not even the, pen, the paper that they're printed on. Um, so don't, and that's what's funny. I told the story earlier about how everybody, every card collector has the buddy that calls him up. He's like, dude, I have a bunch of baseball cards. Tell me if they're, and they always crack the generic ass joke. Oh, is this going to be my retirement? <laughs> and like you go over and it's inevitably like nine times out of 10 going to be junk wax from like the eighties and nineties. Um, so yeah, supply and demand. And so the, 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 the supply way exceeded the demand in the late eighties and the early nineties. And so that's why they call it junk wax. And the wax, where, what is, where does wax come from? Back in that era, the packets of cards were actually made out of wax paper. They weren't made out of like sealed packs. They had like bubble gum in them. It was different back then. Wild West days. But uh, but yeah, so you heard the term junk wax. You know, it's really anything from like 88 to like 93 for the most part. Uh, now, the cool part about that is some amazing athletes played during those years. So you can scoop up some legendary cards for dirt cheap. Like I've gotten some of my, some of my favorite cards in my collection are like Bo Jackson cards from the late 80s. And they're so dope and I got them for nothing. And they're not worth anything, but there's gorgeous, really cool cards of a legend like Bo Jackson and shit like that. So any like major stud and, and see another thing that drove down the value that also happened to coincide with like all the dope rookies from that era were went on to be like the steroid people, like the Mark McGuire's, the Jose Canseco's. So it's like a lot of those cards lost value for that reason too. Like even if they were gonna be worth something, once you're not allowed in the Hall of Fame and you're steroid and you're blackballed, and then I mean your card loses value. So um so that's junk wax. A funny term, funny term. And and people that are fond of that era, there's like niche collectors that are are really fond of junk wax and they kind of don't like that term and most collectors know what you mean and no, nobody really is going to get butt hurt but you may if somebody's really you know into that era of cards then you may get a little pushback calling it junk wax but hey it is what it is i think it's kind of i think it's kind of cool defines an era and there's like a distinct look to junk wax too like it looks cheaper like i don't know like i literally use old junk wax cards to like make filters for my joints sometimes like i cut them up um all right so the next thing is gonna be all terminology of what how to protect your cards and how what people mean so you heard the term penny sleeve what does what does that mean? Penny sleeve, like a like a penny one cent. So, this is that OG Ananobi rookie. You see, it's in this little clear protective sleeve. Now, I mean, that's obvious what it does. It protects it, right? It's called a penny sleeve, but it's not firm. It's it's flimsy. So then, and then that brings me to my next one. This is called a top loader. It's more firm. It's like semi rigid. I mean, you see, I can kind of bend it a little bit, but it protects the card a whole lot more than the penny sleeve. 
And as the name suggests, it's no longer cost a penny. Um, and then usually, so to properly protect the card that you value, I recommend a penny sleeve and then a top loader. Safe, will keep it looking good for years, protect it from dust, scratches, bending, all the stuff that you don't want to happen to your cards. Then you'll also, you can kind of ramp it up a notch and there's what's called a mag loader or one touch. And that's what this is. Oh, and I'll tell you one more layer. You can just protect the fuck out of these cards, which is dope. You get a lot of options nowadays. But they call it a mag loader. You see, that's a little magnet. That little circle is a magnet. So instead of sliding it in, you actually pull the top, the front off, insert the card, and then in, put, place the magnet top over it. It's called a mag loader. Or you'll also see them referred to as a, a one-touch. I don't know the story behind the one-touch name. The mag loader makes more sense to me because it has a magnet. Like, that just resonates with me better. Um, but you'll hear um, a one-touch and a mag loader, to my understanding, are the, are the same thing. Some people call them mag loaders. Some, I call them mag loaders. Some people call them one-touch. And you see this other bag. This is called a team bag. So if you just want, it's really helpful for mailing or if you just want to make damn sure, uh, I don't know. I, I like to put my mag loaders in team bags. I just like the way it looks. I don't like um, top loaders in team bags for whatever reason, but it's like nice and thick. The mag loader is way thicker than a top loader. It's like more secure. It's harder. So some people think it's a little safer. It's a little bulkier and takes up more room in your collection. So I... Um, that, that, that's some of the pros and cons to it. Um, but yeah, I just wanted to give you some terminology on that. Now moving forward, the big debate raging in the hobby right now between collectors and so-called investors, it, are sports cards an investment? People like Gary V. I don't know if you know Gary V's real big on social media. I don't really don't know his job title, but he knows a lot about investing apparently, and he's turned a lot of people into baseball cards as an investment. And to me, that's like a controversial statement um, because I, I um, that's like so. I don't think sports cards are an investment. I. I, like I said, I compared it earlier to a scratcher. Like, are is, is a scratch is a scratcher an investment? Is a lottery ticket an investment? Is putting money on blackjack an investment? I compare it closer to gambling than an investment. Now, gambling, I mean, investing is intrinsically a gamble. So where is that line? That's why it's a debate. I mean, there's no clear cut right or wrong answer. It's that's why it's a debate. It's it's murky. It's um. It because it, investing by nature is gambling, so where where is that line drawn? Um, I just don't think it's an investment. Like I don't think like I think that there's like no, it can be. I mean, it also depends how like technical are we being. Like an investment is something that you put money into, hoping that in the future one day it returns more money than you initially put into it. So like on the roots, like if we're getting like grammatical, like technical, by definition, it's an investment. Maybe. That's the thing though. And 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 there's just there's no such thing as a sure bet. Like everybody's investing in Zion right now, and it's like 
how I mean if you I mean that ACL can go at any minute, but I mean I guess the stock market could go at any minute, but I don't know, man. I wouldn't consider it an investment. Kind of like I said, the rich get richer thing. There's certain people that you can almost guarantee their card's gonna be worth more one day. But all the interest in the hobbies kind of changed that. Because you used to be able to get a guy's card for somewhat cheap. But now, just like supply and demand, so more people, Gary V told a bunch of rich guys it was an investment and, and, and it drove the prices way up, which is cool for the people selling. But as far as investing, if, the, if you're buying a card for a lot of money, I mean, I don't know. There's different ways, but a lot of times the more you spend on it, the less return on investment because, you know what I'm saying? It won't... Um, It's, it doesn't have that much more room to go up because the, the, the floor was so tall that it may potentially impact the ceiling. Um, so yeah, if you add highly controversial statement, there are people that will argue this till they're blue in the face. I'm going to pick this hill to die on. I don't believe sports cards are an investment. Gary V, you know, disagrees. Other people disagree. It can be an investment if you hit. I mean, you know what I'm saying? Like like the day after the draft, if you invested, quote unquote, in Patrick Mahomes, nobody knew what he was going to become. But it, you know what I'm saying? Or Lamar Jackson. Like nobody, everybody's hindsight's 2020. But Lamar Jackson was a second round pick. There was a lot of questions on him coming out of college or else he would have been the number one. And then everybody just knew he was going to be the MVP. He would have been the number one pick. So everybody can hindsight 2020 all they want. So, like, was that an investment if you bought Lamar Jackson? I mean, if you really had that vision and you just knew, saw something in that guy and you just knew it, then good on you. But in reality, you probably pulled some Lamars out of a pack, didn't think much of it, and then two years later, you're like, oh, shit, this is worth a lot of money. Like, is that investing? I, I wouldn't necessarily say so. But, um, you know, and so I'm going to transition Kind of a good transition. Hold on. Sweet Holly dropped her bone and she's going to throw a fit. I had to get my baby girl her bone. She, doesn't, she always knocks it off the bed and then cries. Um, but anyway, shout out to Holly. Love her. And so kind of leads me to the current state of the hobby. It's real popular to hear people talk about, like, oh, the hobby's changed. It ain't what it used to be. I hate how, it, I hate how the hobby has turned out, and because what it is, the demand. Remember I told you, guys like Gary Vee, they told a bunch of rich people it was an investment, drove the prices way up. So now, people can go buy a box. At Target, the boxes go for $20, but you can resell them on eBay because the demand's so high for $60, $80. And so now, you can't even really find cards at Target no more. Like, I haven't seen cards at my local Target in months. Um, because the first day that they get restocked, some asshole, then they camp. They know when the fucking vendor comes. They have it camped out, and um, they'll like pester the target manager to find out. Like they're fucking dis like entitled to some information. I don't. That shit blows my mind. But uh, and then they'll buy up every single box in the store and go sell it for four times as much. And, and, and yes, is that fair? Of course, it's fair. You know, we live in a capitalist. Um, Capital sports cards. We're talking about sports cards and, and the hobby that it entails and like but it's like they 
you know, it's capitalism in its purest form, supply and demand, you know, if I can just, if I, and you know, it's, it's hard to blame people in these tough economic times, you know, if a guy lost his job and he's flipping cars to feed his family, then who am I to fucking judge that guy? And everybody shits on these guys. I really don't know where I stand, because does it drive me crazy that I haven't been able to buy cards from Target in two months? Fuck yeah, I hate it. But in this time where everybody's unemployed and no businesses are open, am I knocking a guy's hustle? Also, no. Have I done it? Yes, but to a way lesser extent. Like, I, I, I've sold a $20 box of cards for 30 and made 10 bucks. You know, if that makes me a bad guy, then fuck me, I guess. But I think that's a little different than, than you know, buying up the whole store stock and reselling it for four times the value. I think there could be a happy medium. I, but supply and demand, like if the market t tells you that's what the price is, who am I to tell you to charge less? So I struggle with that. I think a lot of, I think a lot of people in the hobby struggle with it. But just in the climate of everybody has to pick a side on everything, and everything is divisive and polarized. You know, it just it, it, it translates to the hobby as well. We're like all in that mindset. We're up in arms. We're ready to snap. We're ready to call somebody else the other. We're ready to focus on differences instead of what we have in common. And I say we, because myself included, I caught myself doing that a few times on Facebook, like coming at somebody salty, like that's not even what they were talking about. And I look like a douchebag. So like definitely we're all in this charged up climate, myself included. Um, and so two things, really three things drove this crazy recent supply or demand in the hobby. I talked about Gary V, big like financial internet guru guy well, I really don't know what he does but people take his investing advice very seriously and um the flippers which I the flippers are what I just talked about you go to target buy a box for 20 and flip it for 60 or 80 flippers a lot of people say that's changed the hobby a lot and then Zion and Jaw really Zion it started off as Zion and everybody the Zion we all know the Zion hype just any of your sports fan this hype was insane um, so that just that year, his rookie cards just the it was crazy. I never, I mean, I'd only been in the hobby for three years, but it wasn't like that in past years. That you couldn't all of a sudden you couldn't fucking sell your left nut for a pack of basketball cards. You couldn't find them anywhere. Seriously, um, you can find heroin easier than you could find basketball cards in the Bay Area. Seriously, uh, like it, 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 so Zion, everybody wanted Zion, Zion Mania. And that also happened to be right around the same time as um, MJ's Last Dance documentary. Or, and, um, and that drove a demand for MJ cards, but it's addicting. Once people start buying MJ cards, they start buying other cards. And it just, so those, it's like the perfect storm. And then John Morant happened to be in the same year as Zion as far as rookie cards go. He started balling out. So it's like, it's like, um, you know, you know, worse, like, you know, if you, even if you don't get any Zions, you can get some Jaws, it like doubles your chances at like a, like a really valuable card. So it just drove it through the roof. Um, and so I've really enjoyed this one for real. Like anybody, I know, like I said, it's, it's a, it's a niche thing, sports cards and, and the hobby. It's a niche thing. It's not for everybody. I, if, if, if you think it's not for you, I encourage you to be maybe a little open-minded. If you're looking for like a hobby that, you know, is just like super low pressure, like you don't have to like perfect, like it's just kind of fun, if, especially if you're a sports fan, kind of cool, you know, get your favorite players, autograph, whatever. Um, but so, so I'm going to just take this time, honestly, just kind of show off a little bit some of my favorite cards in my collection.
And I understand that it's going to be like in reverse, so it kind of sucks, but whatever. I want to do a little show and tell. Whatever. If you do want to see it, whatever. Hey, the, the, the collectors out there may appreciate this. And my collection means something to me. These aren't necessarily cards that, like I said, I'm not going to retire on or anything, but these just mean a lot to me. I got this Ryan Broyles RPA right here. He went to the same middle school I went to, same high school I went to. Um, went to college in my hometown in Norman, Oklahoma. Shout out Ryan Broyles. I hope I can maybe get you on the podcast one day. Huge fan. Um, and I and I do PC Ryan Broyles because this Norman Goat. Um, yeah, shout out Ryan Broyles. Big fan. Uh, great brother. Great brother. Uh, the, man, keep killing it, Ryan. Um, I got my, I showed you this card earlier too. My Hollywood Brown patch card. It's number 15 out of 49. It's his rookie. So it's not an RPA, but it's a rookie patch. Big um, Hollywood Brown fan. He's killing it out there in Baltimore. Um, yeah, man. OU's pretty, I'm, I'm collecting CD too, man. These OU receivers, man. It's a lot of fun collecting OU players nowadays. Now, this card is just undeniably cool. Fucking badass. And I actually met Billy Sims one day. Billy Sims autograph in a motherfucking cowboy hat. That's big dick energy right there. That's a dope-ass card. Got an unbelievable deal. Former Heisman winner, Boomer Sooner. Met him at a gas station near, like, Ardmore one time. Uh, he was in the caddy. Uh, nice man, nice man. I didn't get a picture. It was back kind of, like, right before social media really took off. I was young. Another Sooner legend, Joe Washington autograph. Old timer, look at that helmet, that one bar. If your girl don't know who George, Joe Washington is, she's too young for you, bro. Not really. Your girl could be 50 and not know who George, Joe Washington was. But uh, Sooner Legend, Sooner Legend, um, another Heisman Trophy winner. Um, R.I.P. to Kobe. This is a one-of-one one printing plate. So... Printing plate means that this is the what they actually use to make the cards. Um, there's usually four printing plates. There's usually like a black and white, a sepia, uh, a purple, and, and, and something else. But uh, And so this is the black and white Kobe printing plate uh, from 2013 Panini. Um, one of one. So this is the only card like this that exists of this printing plate. Um, RIP to Kobe. Love that card. Chunky Steve Nash patch, number to 25, and that is game one. So that's MVP Prime Steve Nash, game one, number to 25. That's um, Panini Elite. This is one of my favorite cards in my whole collection. Um, love this player, love this team, love this card. Um, it is unlicensed, however. So I typically am not big into unlicensed, but look at that chunky patch, the tip of the A, Matt Olson. It's numbered to five. There's only five of these in the whole world. I fucking love this card. Unlicensed, like I said, which I'm typically not a fan of, but how can you not love that chunky ass patch? Player one though, but so gorgeous. Numbered to five. Absolutely love this card. It's called Tops Gallery, and it looks like a fucking painting. Best third baseman in the league, Matt Chapman, baby. Autograph. This was not numbered, but just look at how gorgeous that is. 
Love that fucking card. Got a phenomenal deal on it. Like I said, people sleep on Chapman. Hopefully, he's one of those guys that does go up in value one of these days. I mean, he's going to win another platinum glove. He needs to get the bat going a little bit, but man, Chappie's the man at third base. I mean, maybe Arenado's the only guy in the con in the same league as him. Um, Matt Olson, another Matt Olson first baseman, fucking stud, just gorgeous card. That's Topps tribute, um, number to ninety nine, big old patch, auto, just a gorgeous card, clean. That's like a higher end brand, so like there's tiers, you know, it's like brands like designer clothes, like there's. Walmart clothes, and then there's designer. Like the high, there's higher end cards, um, and that's kind of getting towards the higher end. I thought this card was really cool. Archie Bradley actually played football against him. He played quarterback for Broken Arrow in 2011, and um, I didn't necessarily play against him because I was only on special teams as a junior. But uh, my team played against him. I watched him play. He was a fucking hell of a quarterback. He was actually committed to play um, quarterback at OU, but obviously decided to play baseball. And he's uh, the closer now, I believe, for the Diamondbacks. Uh, so he he's th he throws some heat. He has a cannon. Cannon. Another one of my favorite cards. That is absolutely gorgeous card. Another Matt Olson, And that has pieces of bat in the middle. That's bat. And then jersey on both sides. And it says Homer and uh, Homer and five straight. So he homered in five straight games. And that's what that card is like to commemorate. That's a piece of his bat in there. That's really dope. That's what I'm saying. Relic doesn't always have to be jersey. It can be bat. It can be a lot of shit. And this is the last one, but probably my favorite card. Nina got me this for my birthday, I think, last year or maybe two years ago. Matt Olson, Team USA autograph, numbered to 10, Refractor. And this is from the 16U team. So you want to talk about pre-rookie card. This was 16. He played for Team USA, still in high school, way before a rookie card. But Matt Olson, one of my favorite players, first baseman for the A's, all-star, stud. When he was 16 years old, it's like way before a rookie card. I don't even really know what you call that, but love that fucking card. But, uh... Yeah, that wraps it up. Thanks for nerding out with me, everybody. I love this hobby. I could talk about it for days, as you can see. It's going to be one of my longer episodes. Who would have thought? Um, but, yeah, I loved it. Um, I know a lot of people out there love it, too. If not, maybe give it a shot. You know, buy, buy a card or two of your favorite favorite players. See if it changes your mind. I don't know. I find a lot of peace in it, for real. Just on my, I'm just turning to the old man. I like fishing and baseball cards. and uh, You know what I'm saying? So, I don't know. Maybe it's not for everybody, but I'm a big fan of it. Um, thanks for everybody tuning in. Thanks for everybody that, you know, supports the podcast. Thank you, Zach Brown, for being the first official sponsor of, of um, Dreadful Talk. Um, hit him up if you if you need any um, real estate insurance needs in Norman, Oklahoma, or really anywhere in that region. Um, and thanks so much for tuning in, everybody. It's been a lot of fun. And shout out to everybody in the hobby. Much love, y'all.